If you can all make your way back to your seats. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to begin in just a moment. Thank you so much. Open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, please. Ruth chapter 1. What a great song that was. Ruth 1. We're going to uh, read through chapter 1 of Ruth as we move into the book of Ruth in our series entitled Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. I'm really looking forward to seeing Jesus in the book of Ruth together with you. And so let's read God's word together. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Awesome words. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death departs, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. 
So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart, Holy Spirit. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to see you more clearly. We want to love you more passionately. Holy Spirit, empower me and empower all of us to be good hearers of your word, but also doers also of it. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I I showed you this painting before. Some of you might remember it. This uh, painting... Um, is in our home. Me and Shannon bought it a, a number of years ago. Um, the title of it is called It's All Connected. And one of the reasons Shannon and I really fell in love with this painting was because there's so many happy colors intertwined with sort of the, the bitter strands that are in there. And together, um, they weave a beautiful tapestry that if it was only one color, it wouldn't be woven so beautifully. And so this was, this was done by an artist, a Christian man, who he and his wife had lost a child. And he painted this to really display how God glorifies himself in our lives through not just painting with one color. And I hope that today as we look at the life of Ruth and Naomi that you would be inspired to trust in the Lord and to see him. Because our God moves in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. That's what I entitled the message this morning. God moves in a mysterious way, His wonders to perform. That hymn written by William Cooper in 1774 in England. Friends with John Newton, William Cooper struggled with depression as a Christian and wrote one of the most beautiful hymns on God's sovereignty. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And I'm looking forward to seeing God move in his mysterious ways as we study God's word together. But I'm also really moved, church, for all of us as his children, to trust in Him as He moves in His mysterious ways in our individual lives, to trust Him as He performs His wonders in ways that are beyond our comprehension, in ways that are difficult for us to understand with our human eyes looking at situations. I'll touch more in on that hymn as we go throughout, but I want to just give you just a little bit of background here on the book of Ruth and the context we find ourselves here in in Ruth 1. This uh, book was written about a time in Naomi and Ruth's life during the, the book of Judges. Their story played out during the time of the Judges. So between 1375 
B.C. when Joshua died all the way to about 1075 and kind of approaching the, the uh, ministry of the prophet Samuel and the judge Samuel, their lives were affected, Naomi and Ruth, by famine. You see that in Ruth 1 verse 1, that there was a famine in the land. And that's actually what drove Naomi and her husband Elimelech to the land of Moab to sojourn there to try and find food. Most likely this famine was brought about by the Lord responding to the disobedience and wickedness of his people. And we just read through that in the book of Judges and seeing Christ in the book of Judges, which I was so thankful uh, to study that book together with you, brothers and sisters. And we saw that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so the book of Ruth wonderfully is, is God's answer to the problem presented in the book of Judges. In those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, with Ruth, by the end of the book of Ruth, we have the name of a king mentioned named King David who was born out from Ruth's line. And I can't wait just to look at just how awesome God is in weaving his beautiful tapestry through this woman's life as we study God's word together here in the book of Ruth over the next number of weeks. I can't wait to just study these two godly women and to see their lives and how God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. But most likely this might have happened in the days, the early days of the book of Judges perhaps not even too long after Joshua, after the people rebelled and God brought a famine. And this is some of the way that the famine played out in the lives of one family in the land of Judah in Israel. We see one of the themes of, that plays out here is that not choosing God repeatedly brought the people of Israel into chaos and disorder. And it also brought consequences upon their promised land in the form of famine. God wasn't harsh in these things. The purposes and designs of God and bringing about the famine and bringing about the the Gentile nations rising up against Israel was to create a desperation in the people of Israel so that they would fall to their knees and turn back to their Lord and worship and serve Him and put away the foreign gods and repent and be saved. So this famine here, it's it's a major player in the story in the book of Ruth. Suffering is, is in the backdrop of the book of Ruth. I couldn't help but think when we were thinking of this this effect of the fall called famine, that we, we see the effects of this still today. Over the last week, we were witnessing the destruction of Hurricane Dorian, which is a major player in many people's lives over this past week, and in the Bahamas, where many thousands of people are displaced. Many thousands of people are, are needing to leave the Bahamas to come to Florida in order to find shelter and find food. And it probably wouldn't have been unlike this story with Elimelech and Ruth. It probably got so bad. How bad did it have to get for you to leave your inherited land and to go to the land of Moab where you didn't know anybody in order to try to feed your family? It was a situation of great suffering that drove Elimelech and 
his two sons along with Naomi to go to the land of Moab in order to find a place where they could have some food. But it's so amazing and interesting in God's sovereignty, brothers and sisters, and we need to just see this thread throughout, that if it was not for the famine that God sent in His sovereign goodness, if it wasn't for the famine, Naomi and Ruth may not have ever met. And Ruth, as we saw in this section of Scripture that we just read, no doubt was impacted greatly to worship Yahweh herself because of the witness of Naomi in her life as she saw her mother-in-law serving the Lord in the midst of her suffering. She witnessed, perhaps for some time, Naomi grieve the loss of her husband Elimelech after he died. And in the midst of even being away from the land of Israel, Naomi gloriously held fast, steadfastly to her faith in God. And it made an impression, no doubt, on Ruth and was instrumental, no doubt, in her conversion. Her getting saved. Amazing grace broke forth in Ruth the Moabite's life because of suffering that the Lord brought that drove Naomi out of Israel to Moab, which was a circumstance that she never would have chosen for herself. But God moved in His mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. And through those circumstances, God saves a Gentile woman and brings her back to Israel. She gets married to an Israelite, and they have a child. (coughs) And from that line comes King David himself. And from his line comes the King of Kings himself. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Christ is in this book. If you look carefully, you'll see Him on every page in Scripture. And one of the reasons we're doing this series, seeing Christ in all of Scripture, is I really desire, and I know John does as well as your pastors, we want to have a Christ-centered hermeneutic and interpretation of the Scripture so that we see Jesus and worship Jesus and celebrate Jesus. Not just in the New Testament, but also that we see Him on the pages gloriously in our Old Testaments. And that we love our Old Testaments as well and cherish every sighting, every beautiful sighting. Every hidden and secret sighting. Every sighting that takes some digging that we possibly can see so that we can worship our Savior in spirit and in truth, and so we can dig down and find the treasures of pure gold down beneath the surface in the Word and glorify and love our Lord and Savior all the more. There's some practical principles here in relation to just this first point. Elimelech had a really wonderful desire to provide for his family. He's to be commended for that. And the desperation that drove him to move his family away from Israel, away from the temple, away from the priests, away from the worship of God, and into the Gentile territory should not be judged too harshly. He was a man who was desperate 
and sought to provide for his family. But it's also an important principle for all of us to take to heart by way of practical application in our hearts and lives today, brothers and sisters, that may we, gentlemen, always prioritize the spiritual well-being of our families, even above the material well-being of our families. Charles Spurgeon commenting on the 10 years that they spent in Moab said that it was 10 years too long. Spurgeon went on to say that better to suffer in the midst of the people of God than to remove yourself from the people of God seeking for gain, only to end up spiritually impoverished. And we don't get a hint of how how much spiritual impoverishment happened over those ten years because we see wonderfully Naomi holding on strong in her faith in the Lord. But brothers and sisters, there is a principle here that we need to take to heart. Because there were consequences to this move. Elimelech moving his family into the land of Moab. After he died, his sons married Gentile women. They married Moabites, unbelievers, which in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, it is a clear principle that we should not yoke ourselves together with unbelievers We, as the people of God, should never fall in love with or marry. We should not marry an unbeliever. We should marry in the household of faith. We should make sure that the person that we're attracted to is somebody who loves Jesus. We want to be drawn to someone who loves Christ. And now there's grace for those who have disobeyed that command and forgiveness for all those who repent, but... And and God, you will see how he moves in his wonderful ways in this story, which we praise God for. And even in many stories where people purposefully marry unbelievers, God mercifully works his wonders and does amazing things and saves souls and, and works his glory. But we never want to, we never want the goodness of God in response to our sin to tempt us to think it was good that I sinned and it's good to give counsel to sin. No. Elimelech positioned his family in the land of Moab, and there were just probably not a whole lot of Israelite girls there. They married Gentile women. They married unbelievers. And that was not good. Those sons of Elimelech and Naomi disobeyed the Lord when they married Orpah and Ruth. Now, in the amazing providence of God, we see the Lord begin to move. And how awesome is that? In the midst of having two unbelieving daughter-in-laws. What's so awesome about Naomi is she she loved them all faithfully. And even though she was away from the house of God, away from the people of God, she maintained a deep faith in God. Because even after she had suffered for many years, After her two sons died, it's amazing when you look at Naomi and you see she's so concerned for Ruth and Orpah as they're grieving the loss of their husbands and she's so, she's feeling so burdened for their sake and how they're suffering and you think, wait a second Naomi, you've lost a husband and two sons and you're, you're almost more burdened for your daughters-in-law. She was unselfish. She was a godly woman who was suffering greatly herself, and yet she concerned herself most with the suffering of 
her daughters-in-law around her and she looked after their well-being. Naomi was an example of loving her daughters-in-law and her family well. If Elimelech made a decision that was not really godly to take them to Moab, she submitted to her husband's leadership unto the Lord, which may have been hard. She may have been married to a man who was difficult to be married to in terms of maybe he wasn't spiritually very strong. We Those are aren't elaborated on heavily in the text, but we know that Elimelech's name meant God is king. And Naomi's name is God is sweet. And so even their very name spoke of God. But there were consequences. Her sons had married unbelievers and there was aftermath there that played out. And things just went bad for Naomi in Moab. God, though, was sweet to work his plan in and through this family, even in the midst of where disobedience to his word was present. And this is where we need to take note of God's grace. God is amazing in his grace in that he still works powerfully in and through our lives, even though there is evidence that we have disobeyed and not honored him fully the way we should have. God did not abandon them, even though they removed themselves from him. God was with them in Moab, even though they removed themselves from Israel. God does not forsake us ever. God does not ever leave us, even though we willfully sometimes put distance in between us and him. God is sweet like that. And you're going to hear that refrain often, Naomi's name, which means God is sweet. I'm going to delight to repeat that phrase over and over and over again. Because in the midst of all of it, Naomi did not abandon God either. And nor did she charge God with wrongdoing in the death of her husband and her sons. But she did see everything that happened to her. All the losses. Understandably, in the light of God dealing bitterly with her. She testifies to it again and again in chapter 1 that She actually, when she returns to Israel, she just says to the daughters and the women of Israel, listen, don't call me Naomi, God is sweet anymore. Call me Mara or bitter because God has dealt bitterly with me. The Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She didn't charge God with wrong. She was just acknowledging that the Lord has brought frowning providences. The Lord has brought bitter things into my life. Call me Mara instead of Naomi. This was a woman who was suffering greatly. But in these dealings, God was working His glorious plan. William Cooper writes in his hymn, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Listen to this line. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will ye fearful saints fresh courage take the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head That's our sweet God. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, 
but trust Him for His grace behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling face. Oh, brothers and sisters, the sun was shining above Naomi's circumstances. And the sun was shining high above Hurricane Dorian when it hovered over the Bahamas and worked its devastation over this past week. But the people of the Bahamas, they could not see the sun shining on those days. Even though the sun's presence was felt, even in the midst of the lashing wind and rain, their experience was one of great trial and for many devastation. We are often, brothers and sisters, conscious only of the storm hitting our lives when we get hit. And we often lose sight of the constant, the constant of God that is always shining, even when our lives are hit by tragic storms. God is always working His good plan and fashioning all His bright designs and working His sovereign will, as Elimelech's name means. God is king, and as Naomi's name means, God is sweet. Sweet are the dealings of Yahweh with His people. That's what her name means. Love that name. Cooper goes on to write, His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is His own interpreter. And He will make it plain. Brothers and sisters, I said it earlier, but it's important to say again, without the famine, we would not... That She could have just said, God, without this famine, we would never have had to leave Israel. Maybe my husband wouldn't have died. Maybe my sons wouldn't have married unbelievers. Maybe my sons wouldn't have died young. God, I was full. And I would have remained full had you not sent the famine. God did, did, did this to me. I'm mad at you, God. And now I'm going to grow bitter towards you, God. She could have done that. She did not do that. And Naomi is a Job-like example to us of a woman saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in the midst of her brokenness. She remains steadfast in her faith, even in the storm. She could have wished for God to write her story better than what it turned out to be. She could have said, then I would not have left Israel full and returned to it empty. You know, all that said, If Naomi could have walked back in Israel, listen to this carefully, if Naomi could have walked back in Israel with her husband and sons and all the earthly riches of the nations on her back, brothers and sisters, she could not have come back more full than she was. This woman who thought she was empty was full of blessing for herself blessing for Israel, and blessing for all the nations of the earth. 
Because ultimately, her life was the one that touched her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was walking by her side as she's coming back broken into Israel. Ruth became part of the people of God. And Ruth would be the means God used to bring King David and ultimately King of Kings Jesus to us to save us from our sins. In the midst of tragic and painful and heartbreaking developments that happen around your life, brothers and sisters, listen, just by way of discipleship into your own life, application into your own life, listen carefully here. Remember, in the midst of all the heartbreaking developments, you are still a means of grace and life to others, even in your broken condition. She could not have been a more broken woman when she was telling Ruth, Orpah has gone back to her people and to her gods. You go too. It almost reminds you of Jesus just saying, do you also want to go away from here? And Naomi's saying, go. It's going to be hard. Evangelism application, don't sell people short of the gospel call. Don't tell them it's going to be easy. Don't tell them it's just all sunshine and rainbows to be a Christian. Tell them the truth about what being a disciple of Christ is. It's very difficult, and the way is hard that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it, but oh, it's glorious and it's worth it. Tell them the truth. Naomi says, it's not going to be easy coming with me into Israel. And Ruth counted the cost. Naomi led Ruth to the Lord at about the lowest spot you could be as a human being. Grieving her loss of her husband and her sons. Those are not the conditions that you think are ideal for evangelism. But brothers and sisters, that's how God works in and through us. It's in our weakness and in our broken condition, when we think that nothing we could possibly say could have any effect. And that's when God comes and the lightning strike happens. And death is transformed into life in Ruth's life. And the woman who's got the seed of Jesus Christ himself inside of her, is born again, a new Christian, a Moabite Gentile convert, determined to cling not only to Naomi, but to cling to Naomi's God, and to say, I'm leaving behind my people, and your people shall be my people. I'm clinging to you. May death be the result if I ever turn my back on you. You see in Ruth true saving faith. And true, genuine repentance. Ruth is an example to each of us. And she says, I will not leave you. And when we believe in Christ, saving faith is best described by the phrases in here in Ruth 1. Cling to Christ. Cling to Him. Brothers and sisters, does your religion... Does your faith in Christ, can it be characterized? Can it be described as, oh, that brother, that sister, he clings to Jesus. She clings to him. We're not ever meant to have sort of this 
oh, yeah, maybe I'll follow Jesus. Maybe, maybe I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll follow him. I'll. If you are not clinging to him like you're in the midst of a hurricane and clinging to him on the rock as if your life depends on it, brothers and sisters, that is what God is telling us is to be the call of the true disciple of Christ. You cling to him. That word cling is covenantal language used repeatedly in the book of Deuteronomy where the Lord says to his people Israel again and again, cling to me, cling to me. And it's used here in the book of Ruth to describe Ruth's discipleship and followership of Yahweh himself when it says he, she clung to Naomi and she clung to Naomi's God. She was transformed by the power of God. And it's also evidence in the fact that unlike Orpah, who went back to her gods, and this is important, brothers and sisters, for our genuine repentance, when we come to Jesus, we need to kiss our old life goodbye and say, I am not, you take the world now, like Fernando Ortega says in the song, take the world, give me Jesus. Jesus is everything to me now. No turning back, no looking back. I'm going to put my hand in the plow. I'm leaving all the false gods of this empty world behind me. Let Orpah go. But I am looking to Christ, and I'm looking to cling to him, and I'm also looking to say I'm forsaking with no turning back all the gods of my upbringing. I'm leaving behind all of my family behind in Moab to go to a new people because I have found this pearl of great price. That is the call of the true disciple of Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is meant to be what describes each and every one of us. Oh, Christ community, let it not be that there's some who are just like, oh, half-hearted in their love and their followership of Jesus. Others who cling and who are devoted and who leave behind their false gods. Oh, may every one of us be described here in Christ community as, oh, the, the, the people that I see in that church. They cling to Jesus as if their life depends on Him. And you know what else about them? They have left their old lives behind. We have a sweet God. The hurricanes... The famines, those are all a result of man's fall into sin. God is sovereign over those natural disasters. He is sweetly sovereign. And He is with us in the storms. He plants His footstep in the sea and He rides upon the storms. We do not serve a God either. Please listen to this. We don't serve a God who shines like the sun 93 million miles away from a distance and watches over us from a distance and doesn't understand what it's like to experience storms. God sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, down to earth. And though He, the King of Kings, deserved nothing but sunshine to ever hit His face, Jesus went through it. The cross was the greatest unrelenting hurricane that any person has ever gone through or will ever go through. It was a hurricane of divine wrath and the malice of men and the wickedness of Satan and his demons with a sustained wind 
of hellish torment stronger than anyone has ever endured. And yet he willingly endured that storm without shelter, hanging up there naked on the cross for you and for me so that we could be here today saved from hell. God is sweet in that he sent his son to endure the worst kinds of bitter dealings. Jesus could walk side by side. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, walk side by side next to Naomi as well and say, I understand your sufferings. He's not a God who stands aloof from suffering but willingly entered into it in order to save us. Jesus understands the bitter dealings when He cries out in agony in Gethsemane in prayer. Oh, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but Thine be done. And to get silence on the other end. Because if God the Father delivers Jesus out in the Garden of Gethsemane, out from the hurricane, we get it forever in hell. God is sweet. And that He uses Naomi's faith in the midst of her brokenness to save Ruth. God is sweet in giving Ruth the resolve to cling to Naomi and never leave her. God is sweet in bringing these ladies back to Israel so that Ruth and Boaz could get married and give birth to the grandfather of David and the many times over great-grandfather of our Lord Jesus Christ. Naomi, understandably, thought she went away full but came back empty. That's what she tells the ladies of Israel. And you know that the sense in the text there at the end of Ruth 1, when she comes back in, it's like a walk of shame coming back because she'd been away for 10 years because her and her husband moved away from the church, moved away from the land to go try to find food elsewhere. They probably could have been castigated for not trusting God enough, whatever. They're walking back in. She went away with her husbands and her two sons. She's coming back broken, battered 10 years later with a Gentile woman. And she's thinking she's completely empty. And she is so transformed, perhaps even in her appearance, because 10 years must have looked like 30 on this woman, because when she came back in, the women of Israel are like, is this Naomi? Is this the woman we once knew? It was all, one, one commentator says that the, the women, all, it's almost like, a, like a, a form of derision looking at her like there was a sense of alteration that suffering had on her outward appearance. She was that broken. Go ahead, Naomi. Go ahead and limp back into Judah. Go ahead and limp back into Bethlehem. Go back and return to your former house. You two ladies, keep on walking. Because all you can see right now is the hurricane that's over top of you and feeling like God's against you and feeling like the Lord has just dealt with you bitterly. But in the midst of your brokenness and in the midst of your weariness, know this. God sees this situation with different eyes. He's compassionate towards you in your suffering. He loves you and has never left you 
even though you grew distant from him. And as you limp back into Jerusalem, know that you're not coming back in empty. You are coming back in, bringing with you the woman who Genesis 3.15 promises is going to be the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent himself. What you see as complete brokenness and destitution is God's almighty strength to crush the enemy. God's sweet. God's sweet in how he does stuff like that. I've been praying, just God help me to just deliver this. This is so awesome. How, how do you do this? This is so awesome that you're like this. That you, through two broken women, both widows, getting mocked as they come back into town because they're so altered by suffering that there's no way that the favor of God could be on their lives. She's coming back in with a Gentile woman, for heaven's sakes. She's coming back in with the Savior of the world inside of her. And Genesis 12, already partially being fulfilled, as God promised to Abraham, Abraham, through you and your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you and your seed. We got evidence of it right there with the Gentile Moabite woman coming back in who amazingly, God uses Ruth the Moabite to be one of the mothers of the Messiah himself in order to bring not just the Jews to salvation. The gospel came to the Jew first, but it also came to the Gentiles in the new covenant. The door swung wide open. And brothers and sisters, you and I are here today as Gentiles, born again and saved and added to the church because God has purposed in his heart that not just Israel, but all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of the woman who came walking and limping into Jerusalem to crush the head of the serpent. This is awesome. This is glorious. Listen, I'm excited the Eagles are playing today. Listen, this is more exciting. I jump higher for this. Because this is the gospel. It's so awesome that God works in such mysterious ways His wonders to perform. Nothing gets me more excited than this. Nothing gets me more fired up than this reality that God would use. This new convert, Ruth, who doesn't even understand what's going on. To be the means through which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come and save us from our sins. Isn't that awesome, brothers and sisters? Aren't you blown away at how God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform? And if I could just share one final word of application to you. I don't know all the ways right now in which God is fashioning all of his bright designs in and through your life right now in the background. Maybe the hurricane's hovering over you like it did over the Bahamas this week and it's just circling around one mile an hour and it's not moving and the 185 mile an hour winds are just ripping you to shreds. And you think life's never going to be any different than this. Listen, sister, brother, the sun is shining up there. And it, you're feeling the effects of it even right now. Even though He's always with you, even in the midst of the eye of the storm. Don't lose heart. 
Don't listen to the lies of Satan as he's whispering in your ear, curse God and die, curse God and die. He is good and he is working all things together for your good. And though you might say, call me Mara right now because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Yes, indeed, brothers and sisters, we could all wish for the story of our lives not to have any bitter strands whatsoever. But we will find in the end when we get to heaven that the bitter strands added to the beauty. They added to the luster of our lives. They, they, they enriched the tapestry of what God wove and brought him even more glory than if everything was just these beautiful hues. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. My guess is sometimes you, like me, struggle to even see how God's working good in your life. Brothers and sisters, I just want to tell you emphatically, he is. He is. Just as surely as he wove this tapestry of glory and grace and beauty and awesome wonder in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, He is weaving it in yours as well. If you are a believer in Christ and you love Jesus, God has promised that He is working all things together for your good. That can never be revoked. Continue to cling to Jesus like Ruth did to Naomi and leave all the false gods behind from your past. They are never worth turning back to. Don't let Satan tempt you to turn back. You have come so far. And I know it's been hard, but God has never left you. He's there with you right now. Trust him for his grace. And know that even as you're limping along right now, and I don't know exactly what this looks like for you, but there is the seed of something in your life that's going to bring so much glory to God beyond your comprehension. You just don't see it right now, and that's okay. It's hard to see in the hurricane. It's hard to see the sun at all in the hurricane, but it's up there shining. And nothing can ever bring him down. No hurricane can touch him or take him off his throne. No winds can ever remove him from his sovereign rule and reign. So yes, call him Elimelech. God is king. And call her Naomi, not Mara, because God is beautiful and God is sweet. And though there are bitter and frowning providences that he ordains, They are only that we might bring Him more glory. And let go of our hold on this world. And loosen our grip on it. So that we'll cling all the harder to Jesus. Trust in Him. Look to Him and know that He loves you, brothers and sisters. He loves you. He put His Son through the hurricane of wrath. Called the cross. For your sins. He understands suffering. God understands suffering and has embraced it as part of his own particular story. Have you ever thought about that? God had the power to take all the bitter strands out of his story. We don't, but he did. He chose as part of his story to have bitter strands. (laughs) 
because it brings him more glory and it's more beautiful and it's better and it's good. And it displays his character and his holiness and his goodness more fully to do so. Naomi's name means God is sweet. And I think we all can testify to that together here today, can't we? He is sweet. And I want to worship Him now together with you. (laughs) The worship band prepared the song God Moves, and we're going to sing that together now. So if you could all stand with me as the worship band returns, let's pray and ask for the Lord (laughs) to bless us. God, thank you so much that You do indeed move in mysterious ways, your wonders to perform. Thank you, as Naomi's name means, you are sweet. And Lord God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your sovereignty. Thank you that you are king and that you are sweet. We worship you now as you are. God, we repent of wishing that you would write our stories more to our liking. Lord God, we don't know all of your bright designs. They can be hidden from our eyes. We don't know why you've ordained these mysterious, bitter providences into our lives, but we know this. You are good and you are trustworthy. You are a God with nail-scarred hands who has loved us so much that you were willing to die for us. Thank you so much that you move in mysterious ways. Your wonders to perform in our lives and that we can trust you. As we sing this song, Holy Spirit, fill us with fresh trust and peace in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I want to say this. I am so honored to be able to walk through just the days of sunshine together with you and also days where we pass through storms together. And I also want to say this, let us never forget that our God is with us in the days of sunshine and his favor is upon us then, those of us who have repented of our sins and believed in Christ. And God is with us in the days of sorrow and in the days of storm, just as much as in the days of sunshine. And his favor is upon us just as much in those days as well, because his steadfast love for us in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to love us forevermore, can never be taken away from us. And we can never be separated from His love. Can we thank God for how good He is to us? We thank You, Almighty God, for how good You are. And we thank You so much that we have You in our lives. You are so glorious and you are so sweet. We worship you and we ask that you would give us deeper faith and deeper love for you, Jesus. I pray as a congregation, we would cling to you even more closely as we go forth from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day, brothers and sisters. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.